0: Uh, for me, I started after flight school, I started my Navy career back here in uh, 1978 and I met my wife uh, between deployments when I was stationed uh, at Oceana uh, and so this has fond memories, it does sound a little bit silent, I don't hear the sounds of freedom with the jets flying around. I know that uh, particularly at nighttime when we'd be preparing for carrier landings, we'd fly at night. I know that irritated a lot of people but something uh, that we uh, had to do. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bible to Joshua 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. And hear the word of the Lord. He says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would calm our hearts or that we would focus on the message that you would have for us. I pray that you would challenge us when we need challenging, that you'd encourage us when we need encouraging. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is a passage that meant, meant, to me, meant much to me when I was a pilot, particularly when I was uh, flying off of carriers. And it meant so much that Kay, when we were dating... She cross-stitched an A6 and put it in a frame and she put verse Joshua 1:9 on it. So this means much to me and I'll be sharing a little bit of that today. As I thought about this passage, I think about where are we today? I turn on the TV and I almost don't want to do that anymore. No matter what channel, you see breaking news. And breaking news means crisis. Well, after a while, it loses its effect. But breaking news, crisis. There's a crisis in the world or a crisis in the nation. But perhaps you also have a crisis in your own life. There may be a personal crisis. We look at North Korea. I heard they launched another missile last night. We can be concerned about the crisis of ISIS and the threat that they have. Or maybe the economy. Where are we in the economy? People are looking for jobs. Or people have lost jobs. Or perhaps people have lost a full-time job and are now working uh, part-time. Or finances because of that. Finances are difficult. Again, I saw in the news this past week that some people are living paycheck to paycheck. They can barely make ends meet. Or perhaps health. Many people don't have health care. Or if they do have health care, they can't afford it. Or perhaps there's personal issues in their lives or their family's lives. There may be family crisis as well. So how do we handle crisis when it comes to us? Sometimes it can cause fear. And fear can be paralyzing. So then how do we overcome the fear of uncertainty. Now you've all heard this quote from Benjamin Franklin. He wrote in a letter to John Baptiste Leroy in 1789 and he said this, in this world nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. But what I propose this morning is this principle, is there is no uncertainty in God's sovereign plan. No uncertainty in God's sovereign plan. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to consider three things. How do we overcome the fear of uncertainty? The first way will be is we overcome the fear of uncertainty through God's promise. Secondly, we overcome fear through God's word. And lastly, thirdly, we overcome fear through God's presence. So we'll look at those three areas this morning. As we consider overcoming fear through God's uh, promise, part of the background we see beginning in verse 1. Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader. And what we have here is continuity from Deuteronomy, particularly uh, chapter 31, into Joshua. As a new leader, he's following Moses, who is called the servant of the Lord. And Moses was the first person to be called servant of the Lord. That title doesn't go to Joshua until after he is dead. But he is following uh, the servant of the Lord. He had been Moses' assistant, the passage says. But this is also a reminder of Moses' disobedience. Moses could not enter the promised land because of his disobedience. This was a reminder of the need to obey and to trust the Lord. And part of the message here, as the Lord is speaking to Joshua, he says, cross over the Jordan. This was a formidable task. Now, as a pilot, I flew high over the land. I was not uh, on the ground slogging it out. But I would understand this would be a very formidable task, even from a military point of view. The Jordan River goes through a deep gorge. And as the nation of Israel would be crossing, they would be vulnerable to attack from the enemy. As they would cross, their force would be divided. At one point, you had people in the Promised Land, people in the river, and people on the eastern side of the Jordan. And so they would be exposed and vulnerable. So this was a formidable task. And yet, the Lord was with them. And this is the command of the Lord, cross this Jordan. Now, with this formidable task is we see God's promise. It is His land to give. Notice what He says. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go with this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. It's God's land to give, just as He promised. And He promised Moses back in Deuteronomy 11.24 but the promise goes back to Abraham when he made his covenant with Abraham and the future of Israel. Genesis 17, 7 and 8 says this, where the Lord says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after You the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God God promises the land but he also promises to be their God and what we have here this is part of the covenant that agreement that binding agreement that love that God showed for his people and what we see is that God is actively involved eight times in this passage God uses the word I I am with you I am giving this to you What we have is a personal God who cares about His people. He cares for the nation of Israel. He cares for Moses. He cares for Joshua. He cares for me. And He cares for you. God is a personal God. He's actively involved. He cares for His people. But what we also see here is God's continuity of His plan. He says, I am doing all these things. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There's continuity, and this is the guarantee of success. Because God is involved. It's His promise. It's His plan. Joshua is going to give the people the land. That's what the Lord says. It is their inheritance. And again, if we go back to Deuteronomy 1.38, Moses tells the people that Joshua is going to do this. In fact, Deuteronomy is written just before the nation entered into the promised land. And as he says, you're going you're to have this land. It describes a future possession. It applies a claim upon the land, but it's future. It has not yet happened. It's not there. And yet in verses 3 and 5, we see God's uncertainty. In verse 3, it says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread future tents I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. That is past tense. God is so certain, and He has the power to do it, that He speaks of a future event as if it has already happened. And He uses a tense that is the idea of past action, but ongoing results. Future event, the Lord speaks of it. It has already happened in my mind. I will make sure it happens. You, Joshua, will give this people this land. This is their inheritance. It's, you're not there yet, but I will make it happen. As they go into this land, they will have rest, is what the scripture talks about. But it also prefigures the spiritual rest that God has for us. They have rest in the land, but it prefigures the rest that we have in Christ. And we may say, well, how does this apply to me? I'm not a Jew. I'm not living in Israel. How does this apply to me? Paul tells us in Galatians that the followers of Christ are heirs of Abraham through faith. Paul writes in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God has this eternal aspect in mind, uh, beginning with this plan. Even in Hebrews 4.8, as he talks about what Joshua did not... Uh, uh, Hebrews 4.8 says this. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. It speaks of a future of a spiritual rest that we find in Christ. They would have rest in the land and the Lord would not fail them or forsake them in fulfilling this promise. We are heirs of Abraham. And in the New Testament, inheritance refers to the enjoyment of spiritual blessings of salvation. It all points to Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is the hope that we have And it's not a wishy-washy hope. Oh, I hope the Redskins win this year. It is a firm hope that we have. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about a heavenly Jerusalem in 11.16. In Hebrews 12.22, he talks about a heavenly Jerusalem, a heavenly country. We have this eternal perspective. We have this hope. We have this inheritance in Christ. The blessings of salvation even now, but they're so much more to come. The problem, though, is how do we deal with the pressures that are coming upon us? As they come down upon us, sometimes we can only focus on the problems that we have. I think back to my time when I was flying, and I love flying the A6. Uh, My roommate used to have a a K-shirt that said, Jets are for kids. And they gave us a big toy to play with. And as we would fly, we used to wear a G-suit where you would have... A uh, bladder that went around your waist, around the upper part of your thighs, and then down to your calves. And as you're pulling Gs, or forces of gravity, the more you pull, the blood want to flow from your head down to your legs. And so the G-suit would inflate, trying to keep the blood up there so you would maintain consciousness. And as you're pulling Gs, well, what would happen is, as blood would start flowing down, your vision would start to decrease, and you'd have tunnel vision. And all you can see is just in front of you. And if somebody pulls hard enough, then you black out. And so often, as we are facing problems in life, all we can see is that problem in front of us. We don't see the big picture. And the Lord is telling Joshua, see the big picture. I have given you a promise. As you let go, you can start to see again. So we look through Scripture. We look through the Lord, even as we go through difficult times. How can we be confident? Because of this. God is trustworthy. He will do what He has said. Now, I can make a promise. And of course, my wife and my daughter are here, and of course, my son's over in child care right now. And sometimes, we as parents, as people, we don't always keep our promise. But in God, we have confidence that He will keep His promise. Numbers 23, 19 says this. God is not man that He should lie, or son of man that He should change His mind. Has he said it, will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill? That is a promise that we have. Joshua should drive comfort from this. He needed to remember the promises of God. And yet so do we. Joshua need to remember the mighty works of God as he took him out of Egypt in the wilderness. We We need to remember the promise of God in Scripture, but also what he has done in our own lives and in the lives of our family, and in the lives of others, we look to the Lord for His promise. Do we have confidence in God's promise and His plan? Do we believe that He really cares about us? Do we understand and appreciate the inheritance through the promises of God that we have in Jesus Christ? So the first way we overcome the fear of uncertainty is through God's promise. The second way we overcome is through God's Word. And we'll see this really in verses 7 and 8. First, we see through obedience of the word. And again, the scriptures that tell us, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from, from the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So as we overcome fear through God's word, the first part is through obedience. We have to do what the Lord says. And this is what is told to Joshua. He should to be careful to do all the law. We can't pick and choose what we want to keep. And I'm kind of amazed uh, with so many different social issues. We have some of the churches saying, well, God didn't really mean this. Whether it's marriage or whether it's gender or whether it's purity, it doesn't matter. Some are saying, well, that's not what God means. But the word says, do all that the Lord has commanded you. And this is after the command to be strong and courageous. How do we become strong and courageous? By spending time in God's Word. Joshua's to be an example. He's not to deviate from the right, your right, your left, from the right or to the left. He's to stay on the path. And again, this is not just for the leader. Some people say, well, this is just for the leader. I don't have to do it. Deuteronomy 5 this is addressed to the entire nation of Israel. Very similar, you shall be careful, therefore, as to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You, that is, the nation of Israel, shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So their success by observing the law, and this is the condition and general principle: we prosper as we obey God's law. But this is not works righteousness. That's not what earns our salvation. We show our love by our obedience. Christ tells us that in John fourteen uh, twenty one. And so the implication is we can overcome fear when we know that we're in the will of God by being obedient. Our success should be dependent upon following the Lord and not what the world says because today, as even in the time of Isaiah, the world is calling what is good evil and what is evil good. So we don't seek to please the world. We seek to please the Lord. And that's through obedience. But also we talk about the word is through the study of the word. Part of that is through teaching others. The law was not to depart from Joshua's mouth. It was to be an integral part of his life. Again, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Success through obedience, Success through meditation and application of God's word. Joshua a leader; he is to instruct the people. But that's not just for the leader. In Deuteronomy six, uh, six and seven, the Lord says, "Hear, Israel! The Lord is one." He says, "Teach your children all this word that I have commanded you, from the rising to the, uh, when you rise in the morning to when you go to bed. Teach your children." so important when we do that Um, we have to study god's word if we're going to actually share god's word and if we're going to obey god's word and that's why so oftentimes teachers and preachers as they prepare for their lessons they are blessed from spending time in god's word so i would encourage you to do the same but part of it too is meditation. He says meditate on it day and night. We look at that in Psalm 1 for the blessings of those who meditate. We should delight in God's Word. It gives us stability into our walk. We develop deep roots and it says there is success. When we meditate, it involves moving God's Word from our head to our heart. In Psalm 119, the word meditate as a verb is used six times and as a noun it's used twice. And it has the idea of going over something in your mind over and over again it's pondering God's word and then applying it to our life it's reflecting upon it As someone said it's like a cow chewing the cud again and again and again we reflect upon it and then we do it what does it do? it keeps us from sin again in Psalm 19, 9 and 11 how can a young man and young woman keep his way pure by guarding according to thy word I have laid up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 37, 31. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So we have to know God's law in order to keep it. But are we spending time in God's word? Are we committed to his word? What this passage tells us that Joshua's leadership will fail without meditation and obedience to God's word. We can have success from God's perspective if we meditate on His Word. We ponder it. It affects our lives. It changes our heart. Because brothers and sisters, we cannot please God unless our hearts are changed. And one of the ways that the Lord does that is through His Word, having an impact upon us. As we talk about overcoming fear through God's Word, I also want to talk about the fact that through God's Word we can have a personal relationship with God's Word. It's not just words. Scripture tells us, John tells in John uh, 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.14 that Jesus is the Word. He is God. He is the Lord. In the beginning was the Word and the Word is with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Christ is a focal point of the Bible. Pastor Carlos, as he was preaching in Luke, pointed out at the end of the the book, Luke 24, 44, where Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Scripture points to Christ. The Old Testament, and those are the scriptures that Jesus was referring to, point to Christ. And we can have that personal relationship with Christ. There's a difference between what I call churchianity and Christianity. Churchianity is going to church and going through the motions. And I know I was there when I was in high school. I thought I was saved because I went to church. That is different from Christianity, which is a vibrant living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. We can have that personal relationship with the Word. We can have fellowship with the Word. Again, Paul in Corinthians uh, 1.9 says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have fellowship with the Creator. We can have fellowship with God. And we are to obey this Word. And we do it out of love. And as we have that relationship, it can get us through very difficult times. I know I'm dating myself, but about 39 years ago, I went through SEER school. Survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Prisoner of war training for those of us who were flying off carriers. West Coast was based upon the Vietnam model. East Coast was kind kind of on the Russian model. And I don't remember where I heard, but one of the stories talked about prisoners of war in Hanoi, again back in 78, Vietnam was still very fresh in people's minds. And they talked about those who were tortured, who were beaten. And oftentimes, they survived because of things they were taught as a child, which is why it's important to teach our kids as a child. And the Lord would bring back to them things they learned in Sunday school. And as they were beaten, thrown back into their cells, oftentimes the other prisoners would tap out Scripture to them. And if they got caught tapping out Scripture, they would be beaten as well. But it was that word of God, it was that relationship with Christ that helped those men in those very difficult times. I can't imagine what they went through. And what we find is that even in the harshest conditions, God's word can comfort us because that word is also a person that we can have a relationship with. Lastly, we overcome fear through God's presence. We see this in verses five and verses nine. Uh, Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And verse 9, that K cross stitch for me, for I have not commanded you, for have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And here there's a new thought, in verses 6, 7, and 9, he says, be strong and courageous. But here after that he says, don't tremble, don't be dismayed. The Lord is with Joshua wherever he goes. That is a tremendous promise. He's with us no matter where we go. That is a tremendous promise. Christ is with us no matter where we go. During the Great Commission, he says to the disciples, I will be with you for how long? To the end of the age. In Acts 18.10, the Lord says to Paul in Corinth, I will be with you. And in Psalm 139, that was mentioned this morning, we cannot flee God's presence. No matter where we are, God is there. Do you know how big the universe is? They say about 93 billion light years across. And how fast or how far is one light year? About 6 trillion miles. So if you multiply 96 billion by 6 trillion, that's pretty large. And from what Psalm 139 says, no matter where we are, We cannot flee or be away from God's presence. That's what brought comfort to me when I was a pilot. I remember back when I was flying uh, in the Mediterranean. And You know in your car when you have different colored lights, warning lights, you have like a kind of an amber and you have a red. Is red a good thing? No, it's not. Well, the A6 is the same thing. Except some of them were a little bit larger than others. And after I took off from the carrier, I got this big red light. I had a, my starboard engine had caught on fire. That's not good. Fortunately, I had two engines. Uh, and eventually the fire was able to go out and I was able to land. And the fire had eaten through two heat shields. And I was working on a fuel line and two hydraulic lines. Now, if you get to the fuel, that's bad news. And without hydraulics, you can't fly the airplane. So I remember that. Or another time, it was above the Arctic Circle. The weather was so bad that the unofficial title of the exercise was Death Sport 81. That's what we're calling it. Uh, and I remember flying, was at nighttime, only planes flying, the only fools flying, were A6s and E2s. Everybody else was watching movies, eating popcorn. As I took off, I had electrical problems, and I tried to, I was going to land, but the other plane that I was uh, relieving had more problems than I had. And so the deck was pitching 10 to 15 feet at nighttime in rough water, uh, in, in rainstorms. I had a fuel problem because I got low on fuel. I had a landing gear problem. I had trouble getting my landing gear to lock. And I had an electrical problem because I lost one of my generators. In fact, my bombardier navigator had its flashlight out so that the LSOs could hopefully see us as we were trying to land. And uh, I hook skipped over the first time and was able to come back around and finally land. I had enough gas for two passes. Uh, so yes, it's n- not why I became a chaplain, but it all comes into play. <laughs> But having said that, God was with me. And even as we face death, God is with us. My roommate was killed. He was killed in a ramp strike when he hit the back end of a carrier. Was the Lord unfaithful then? No, my roommate knew the Lord. And the Lord used his death to bring other people to himself. So God is with us. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It doesn't get any better better than that. No matter where we are, his spirit is within us. No matter where we are, we can depend upon him at all times. So, this morning, I want to encourage you to think through this. How do we overcome the fear of uncertainty? Through God's promise, through God's word, and through his presence. Remember that God is faithful. He is is with us no matter where we are. And he makes a majority. We don't need to fear. We don't need to fear society. We just need to remember and cling to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example that we find with Joshua as the nation of Israel prepared to enter the promised land. We thank you for the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. Encourage us, I pray. May we cling to your promises. May we cling to your word. And may we cling to your presence. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.